Welcome to The Culture Edit, your weekly roundup of all things work and culture. Hosted by Nikki and Chad Strickland, co-founders of Niche Culture, a strategic consultancy and creative agency helping some of the world's top brands define, articulate, and promote their culture to their employees and the world. All right, episode four. Uh, we're back in the office on a Sunday because we were too tired to record on Friday. We had a really long week. But I actually kind of enjoy uh, getting up early, getting the workout over with, and getting in the office. Yeah, Sunday, uh, Sunday, the office has become the new tradition. No Sunday scaries, just no. Sunday uh, productivity. Exactly. So let's do a quick recap of our week because it's with the Fourth of July. It feels feels like two, it's been two weeks, but really it's just the same week. So a couple things. It's a really weird week. Yeah. With it being on a Tuesday. So on Monday we worked when everyone else was relaxing correct that was fun uh walking into the office on the belt line seeing everyone chilling yeah yeah but it was fine and then for the fourth uh we actually went on a death march while everyone else is partying at the pool and grilling out we decided to ride our bikes with our mutant friends all the way down to basically serenby and then do a group ride and ride all the way back I was so dehydrated, my muscles completely shut down. Our mutant friends, Goose and Brock Mason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you have to explain why they're mutants a little bit more. Like the average person won't Oof. quite understand. Well, Goose, well, we lovingly call him Goose. Uh, his name's Quentin. But in his last name's, it's actually Gossens, but for a long time we thought it was Goosens because that's how it's spelled. So therefore we got the nickname Goose uh, before he corrected us. <laughs> eventually he's, he's from belgium by the way yeah and then brock mason we've been friends with for a long time um but the two of them the reason we call them the mutants is because they're just ridiculous freaks of nature on the bike i mean brock just got seventh in the national championship time trial uh, and i think he was the only non-world tour guy in the top 10 definitely the only guy with a job definitely the only guy with a full-time job uh so super impressive just great guy strong guy and then, yeah, Goose is just, I don't know if it's the Belgian water or what they're, what they're feeding them over there. Cobbles. <laughs> the cobbles. But he is tough. Also, you know, he's a PhD. He's a biomechanical engineer. I think I got that right. Uh, so super smart, works a lot, but rides really, really hard. And shout out to Goose's dad, our uh, Belgian listener. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a big day. Uh, Everyone else was grilling out, and we rode 90 miles, just to clarify that. Uh, and it was really hot, and it was really hard. And uh, it set the tone for uh, for the week, because we were pretty much destroyed after that. Yeah, I was... It, when you push yourself... Well, I was already just having kind of a bad day on the bike because of various reasons. But when you push yourself that hard, you almost feel like you have the flu for the next couple of days. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Were just, you in your luteal phase? Is that what, very was good? That what yeah, I'm teaching him. Okay. Uh, yeah, not to get into all kinds of scientific <laughs> female anatomy, um, but yes, the luteal phase right before uh, you know the time of the month is probably the worst time for any woman to train intensely, and your hormones are at their all time high. It's hard to explain to guys, but you basically just feel. I think your VO2 max drops by like twenty percent. When yeah. training during this this week or so but i didn't want to miss out riding with my friends so i just torture myself um 
but feel, feeling a little bit better now. Yeah, it's a, it's always funny uh, riding with guys, and if you're struggling, the guys will be like, "What? What's going on with Nikki? Why is she <laughs> yeah, you know, struggling?" <laughs> yeah, and it's it's impossible to explain because well, and it's yeah. awkward. It's kind of like uncomfortable topic. Yeah, I always say she's just not feeling good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, gentlemen out there, if you see a lady athlete, endurance athlete, especially struggling, know that it's not for lack of trying. It could literally be that our bodies are just raging with hormones. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, We didn't talk about, um, before that, though, we went to a new restaurant in Inman Park. Mm, We had a lot of questions about this. It's a... Vegan. Vegan restaurant. Yeah. um, But very popular. Yeah. I mean, they have a lot of locations around America. Um, I first saw... It's called Planta. And they have, I think, maybe a couple in Miami, but the one that I think of is Planta Queen in uh, Coconut Grove. And so we haven't hadn't actually eaten there, but they opened up one up right next to our office. So we went there, made a reservation. It was really good. The food was really good. For vegan, I mean, we're not vegans, so it's not like a huge draw for us, but it was really, really, really good. I will. You were more impressed than I was. I, I would well, not say it was really, really good. It goes in line with more of what I like to eat more than what you like to eat. Um, like they had a vegan Thai, uh, Thai lettuce wrap. And so it was essentially just like vegetables and tofu. And which just, is what you make at home. All, yeah, like which every, is what I make week. at home for, you know, a fraction of the price. Um, so for me, it was more, I just, I didn't feel that guilt of eating gluttonously at a restaurant, but the price point was absolutely insane. I mean, I, I don't think I'd go back for a while just because of the, it was so, it, I, I thought we were in New York or South Beach. Yeah, very, very expensive for Atlanta. It's in Crog Street Market, if you know where that is. It's in the the location that's really been a kind of a doomed restaurant. I think we said there's been three or four restaurants have been in that that one space. Mm -hmm. Uh, I predict that uh, they'll continue with that streak. I I just do not think they will survive at that location. They, they've got one in Buckhead. I think they'll they'll be fine. But I think I, Buckhead will be cool because yeah. it's that people anticipate spending a lot of money when you go out to eat in Buckhead. And it's in like that little Buckhead Village area. Or I don't know if it's called the Village, but it's in yeah. that area with all the shops. So it's more of an experience where I just think the it's in Crog Street is kind of, I don't know. The, I, I don't think the experience is that great. It's no. like a food stall. So you're you're looking out the window from the restaurant and you're just looking at people going and picking up food from food stalls. <laughs> um, you're not looking out at the ocean. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit different than uh, than the scene in Miami for sure. Uh, also, the, the service was fine, but the staff, which having worked in a lot of restaurants growing up, it, this always bothers me, were extremely uneducated about the menu. And the reason that bothers me is because that's so much on you. Like, yes, the manager, you're in charge of training people and that's on them as well. But when you work at that high end of a restaurant, it's on you to study the menu, to know the menu, to learn how to pronounce things on the menu. Um, Yeah. You know, I ordered a glass of rosé and the guy was like, oh, you ordered your rose wine. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not trying to be like a wine snob or anything, but there's just little things like that that contribute to an experience where if I was paying $10 for a meal and $5 for rose wine, I wouldn't care. But if I'm paying $40 for tofu... And twenty dollars for rose. Yeah, I just want that experience. I, I want to feel like you tried to educate yourself around the menu. What drove me crazy though is their signature is fake sushi. 
So they make it look like it's real sushi. Like it, 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 it what's confusing is it says tuna. Like the sushi was. It, they, they call everything by the name of like whatever protein it is, but it's not. But so it's that's not a little, tuna. yeah, that's a little confusing. So think of how confused people are going to be when they go in there and see that menu. Soup, yeah. If you're not a vegan, you're definitely going to be confused. I was we, confused. We were like, is this a, a pescatarian place or is this vegan? And they're calling it like vegan watermelon. Yeah, so I got... Or sorry, watermelon tuna. I got tuna nigiri, which was eggplant, looked like tuna, looked exactly like tuna. It's their signature dish, and the rice fell apart. You couldn't even pick it up. You couldn't pick it up. With, with chopsticks, which right. is all we had. Right. So how does that make sense? It was like super see, frustrating. Right. I, I don't know. They, they won't survive. But yeah. on the opposite end of the spectrum, you did girls' night... At Umi. At Umi. In Buckhead. Which is worth, the the experience is worth it. You know, I, I really like Umi um, because the sushi is just, I think, I, I don't know if there's a better sushi, sushi restaurant in Atlanta. It always just tastes, I mean, the taste is just off the charts, the offerings. Uh, I still don't feel like it's necessarily worth the price point. It's so expensive. It blows my mind. And I know that I'm a little bit of a cheaper person when it comes to food. Um, just because I don't, maybe I don't enjoy food enough to pay that much money like other people do, but. You think it's better than MF? We haven't been to MF in so long, but I ordered this. I hadn't ordered, I, I've been to Umi a lot. We always do girls nights at Umi. Um, and it is like a really great vibe. Service is amazing. The servers are super knowledgeable about everything, which is great. Cause I always have a lot of questions. Um, and my friend Danny told me to try, I guess it's like a box sushi where they press the rice into a box and then press whatever fish on top, which I got like the fatty tuna toro on top of it. And then they chop it into pieces. So it doesn't have the seaweed or anything. I guess it's like a Osaka style type of sushi. I'm not a sushi connoisseur. So people that are just take a chuckle at me describing this and then move on. Yeah. Um, it was so good, incredible. I've never had that. It was really good. Good. And then and this was for Ava's birthday. Yeah. Yeah. The annual great. Ava's birthday dinner. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Ava's birthday, girls night. It was it was fun. Cool. And we went next door to, I guess, Umi has like a speakeasy type bar where you have to have a passcode. And I think Caitlin made reservations like two months in advance. And it, yeah, it's a cool vibe. Got, I just ordered some wine, so it wasn't super... I didn't, I didn't test the cocktail waters, but it looked like everyone had some nice martinis. And, then, and this is the, the girl group. Uh, I mean, y'all really rage. Uh, I think you got home at 9.30 <laughs> or 10. This is typically, like, that's pretty late for you. Well, uh, I left. The, Caitlin I was, the was first, out till 10? Yeah, I was the first one to leave. Um, I felt kind of bad about it, but I had, I, we've been working so many hours. And then I've also, we've been trying to. I think I did like 20 out, 10 hours in the gym last week, 10 hours on the bike, and then a bazillion hours in the office. So I was just so tired by the time I got to this dinner. So yeah, I think I left at like nine. And then Caitlin made it to like 10. Yeah. So this this group of girls, different priorities, uh, work out in the morning is number one. So that's why everyone has to go to bed. <laughs> well, Ava stayed out till 3.30 and still got up in the morning and worked out. So wow. I'm even more impressed with her. That is But impressive. she's got, you know, like the young, the young and rage genes where you can just do rage all night and then get up and be super productive. Yeah. I in your 20s, you can do that. Yeah, I can't do that anymore. Cool. Uh, so Tour de France recap. Tour, we're one week 
over one week in as of today we just watched the finish of the stage and whose pick is winning uh vinegard is mm -hmm. still winning but just barely 17 seconds pagacha dropped him today pagacha's in my opinion is looking stronger he's getting stronger every day uh he's attacked him he's pagacha's won a stage vinegar has not won a stage um so it's uh it's a two-man race it's exactly what everyone thought uh it's just going to come down to the mountains with these guys. They're both really good time trialists. Uh, they'll have a few seconds in between. But otherwise, two-man race, the big news, Matteo Jorgensen, who is an American, even though he doesn't sound like an American, almost won today. Would have been huge. Um, he's a young kid. I think he's like 22, 23 years old. Last year, he also was about to win a stage, and he crashed. Um, so that would have been awesome, but he got passed uh, at the last really last 50 meters of this stage today and then the other big news is mark cavendish crashed out of the race yesterday his last supposedly his last tour de france ever uh he's tied for the most stage wins of all time uh with eddie Merckx. so everyone was hoping that he was gonna beat that the day before he got second he almost won a stage which would have been amazing but Everyone loves Cav, and so uh, it hurts pretty bad to see him crash out of the race in his last one. But you don't think it's going to be his last? No. He's like Tom Brady. He's going to come <laughs> He says he's going to retire, then he comes back. He says he's going to retire, then he comes back. He, Cav will be back. He's 36, I think. So he's... Yeah, he's not that old. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, <laughs> he's he's getting up there for pro cyclists. I mean, there's there's guys that, that race to 40. He, he could still do it. He could come back for another year if he wants to. Maybe, maybe he will. I don't know. I think he's just mentally exhausted. I think he's ready to. Maybe family family dynamics. I mean, he has like three kids. I think. Yeah, yeah. He's ready to be papa. Yeah. So we'll see. But that's uh, the tour. It's uh, it's going to be exciting between these two guys. One thing I would uh, I was thinking about this to point out to people that don't watch pro cycling, but they do watch the Tour de France, which is what most people do. They just watch the Tour de France. One thing that we we're talking about. Look at everyone's got a uniform, like a different uniform, team uniform on. But look at everyone's shoes. What color are they? White. Everyone's shoes are white. Every single person's shoes, except for maybe five guys, and they're weirdos. They wear black shoes. Um, you hate black shoes. Victor Campenarts being number one, uh, a Belgian. He wears black shoes with white socks, which is like a terrible fashion faux pas. Faux pas. It's, I think it's interesting for, for non-cycling people to watch the Tour de France and just look at that. Like, it's everyone's wearing white shoes and white socks. Everyone. The white shoe revolution. Yeah. I wore non-white shoes yesterday on Tucker, the Tucker ride, and I apparently got demerits for not wearing white shoes. It was controversial. It was, I am a controversial human. I heard several people talking about it. You wore, Probably. Um, we call them. What, what color? We call it niche blue because it's part of our brand. Uh, so it's, it's like, like a, a green, teal. Teal. Like yeah. a teal, yeah. Mint. I like teal. Yeah, I think, I think it was cool, but it was very controversial. Controversial. Not, not wearing me. white shoes. Uh, uh, also, what I noticed in the Tour de France is, so obviously anyone that's been listening to the news knows that France, France, mostly Paris, is just chaos. Like they're three years behind us with the chaos menu. And... So all of these things are happening all through Paris. Um, riots. Riots, everything. I'm not going to go into it because you can just read about Google in two seconds on your phone. And that's not the point. The point is the French president is just chilling in the back of the car in the Tour de France, sipping champagne, leaning out the window and waving at everyone while, his, while his, the biggest city in his country is literally burning to the ground, basically. Yeah, he don't care. 
Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm yeah. French. I'm yeah. Here. I mean, it's a very French thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so do we want to dig into the culture edit? I want to mention one other thing before we do that uh, that I think is really important because um, our reviews of TV shows and movies, we've heard people are very interested in these, like The Bear. Oh, yeah. Again, The Bear, highly recommended. So good. I watched, while you were on your Girls Night at Umi, I watched the Wham! documentary on Netflix, and it blew my mind. Last you know who? Christmas, yeah. I gave you my heart. Exactly. <laughs> I thought Wham! So they were only together for four years. I think it's like 82 to 86. Uh, I always thought that they were like like a NSYNC, right? Or Backstreet yeah, Boys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they're not. They were two friends from childhood, Andrew and George Michael. Uh, and they wrote all that music. Like it was them. It was George Michael. He wrote it all. I mean, Andrew wrote a lot of the early stuff, but this, all the songs you know, like Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, it was a, that was a note that Andrew left on the refrigerator. He was taking a nap and he wrote a note to George and said, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. He's like being funny. George saw that note and went and wrote the song. Yeah. Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. I'm, I'm going to have to watch it. It's it's so good. And Maybe it, when you have your girls' night, I'll, I'll watch it. Yeah, my home. next girls' night, yeah. uh, you you definitely watch that. So if you grew up in that era, uh, it just was pretty fascinating. I think even if you don't, because it's it's such a, a cool story of friendship. And Andrew, well, and everyone loves George Michael's. Like even if you don't realize that you love his songs, like if you're younger, yeah. they've all been remixed, they've all been remade, they the tributes, all all the things. And you hear him, like they have, I guess, all this archival footage. So he's narrating it and Andrew's narrating it. You never see Andrew, so you don't have to see him old. They just, they're young the whole time. They're wham the entire time. He's narrating it and it's about friendship. It's about Andrew seeing that George Michael was special and talented. And he basically created the band for George. And then once George became this huge megastar out of, out of wham, he knew it was it was the it, it was time for George to go on his own. He, like I thought, maybe they broke up and they were like mad at each other, and they weren't. He's they were still best friends their whole life. It's crazy. Wonder if he's getting a little bit of like kickbacks, you know? Well, I'm sure. He like get, for every George Michael song that comes out, he gets not George Michael, but for Wham, I'm well, sure he's still. I don't know though. Like Wham. maybe he was help, still helping him when he was George Michael. Maybe he was still working in the background. Do they, they no, talk about that? Yeah, they did talk about. It. They didn't really. Work so what is what has Andrew been doing the rest of his time? So he like taps out of Wham. They didn't talk about it. <laughs> watch it. I have all these questions. Yeah, we'll have to research that. Okay. They didn't talk about that. It was it was just. It's probably something like really lame. Like he went back to law school and became a lawyer, and then like George Michael's is out like raging. I think he's still in the industry. I think he, I think he's still in the industry. Okay. Anyway, it's uh, it was it was awesome. I thought it was awesome. So watch the Wham! documentary. Is that what it's called? It's called the Wham! documentary? Or is there a name that people should look for? I think it's just Wham! Wham! On Netflix? Netflix. Netflix. Okay. Yeah. All right. Like so search like. Wham! on Netflix. Hopefully you'll find it. And it um, added Wham! to our Pool Vibes playlist that will go on the Culture Edit too. Okay, so, perfect. Pool yeah. Vibes playlist. Yeah. If you ever want some good playlists, Chad works really hard on curating <laughs> his playlists. I'm like, I'm working on client work. Chad's making playlists. That's <laughs> just kidding. I don't know. I've been really into remixes lately, like like kind of like club remixes of old songs. Yeah. You take uh, my old songs and then you go find the- Yeah, and I go find like a upbeat club remix. Oh, we also did uh, headshots this week. So I'm pretty excited. New headshots. We haven't gotten them in a long time. So the cover art will be updated soon. I yeah. know you all are- care so much about that but i'm, I'm excited yeah i was glad to work with allison again 
we've used her for headshots for over 10 years. Um, she's magic. Yeah. Magic. We haven't been able to get her the last few times we've needed stuff, but um, she was willing to come into our, our studio on Monday while everyone else was partying. She just gets it. She's a magician with lighting. Yeah. She's like, we're going to make your cheekbone pop, cheekbones pop. And I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah. Make those cheekbones pop. That's what I want. So if you need headshots or portraits, put put the link in the bio. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll link to her website. Yeah. Okay. So digging into the culture edit, do you want to start with the first article, which is why corporate America is worried about affirmative action? Because we talked about it last week, kind of as a prediction. There weren't a lot of articles out about it, but now it seems like people are on the same page. Only to say, yeah, I told you so. I mean, there, there was no, no one was connecting the dots to that decision uh, when we talked about last week. And now this week it was Wall Street Journal, New York Times. Everyone uh, is now connecting those dots. Uh, I've had conversations with CHROs uh, and CEOs in the last week that are also asking a lot about what this means for our DNI efforts. Um, again, we covered that in uh, the podcast last week and also in, in our newsletter last week, it's, there's going to be, it's, it's going to have a chilling effect is, is my prediction on, uh, DNI efforts and, you know. Yeah. And I think that people are just going to have to be really authentic, really, really authentic as to why you're doing certain initiatives, starting certain programs. Um, because if people feel that there's a lot of authenticity behind people's actions i think they're less likely to sue you whereas if it feels performative people just get so pissed about that nowadays yep and we're seeing that a lot so so we spent all the whole podcast talking about that last week but it's 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 probably one of the biggest topics in workplace right now so also in the culture edit um a lot of statistics are coming in from the tech layoffs uh, I think no surprise there in the tech industry that women were disproportionately laid off to males, um, which is kind of crazy because there's hardly any women in the tech <laughs> industry. Well, I think that's uh, what makes it so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, digging into that, obviously less women in leadership roles. And so, you know, leadership roles are typically the last ones to go. Um, more women in functional areas that don't drive hard sales or hard revenue um, a lot H less women. HR. Yeah, a lot less women in technical roles where they're kind of keeping the, the company af afloat. And then also one thing that I read that was interesting is, so it was addressed in this article that more women are working from home than men. Um, and so men are getting more FaceTime, which makes people not want to lay you off if you have more FaceTime. Uh, and so then I looked that up and there's another article on in Fortune that a government uh, study had been released or statistics had been released in 2022, 28% of men are still working from home in 2022, but 41% of women are still working from home. So men are drastically going back to the office quicker than women. I think it's for pretty obvious reasons, probably mostly around children, um, childcare. I, I kind of been saying in my mind lately, like we can't whine about something that we can control in certain ways. And as Who's, a who is we here? We, like, oh, women. Sorry, women women, women. women. Okay, yeah. Like women, like we can't we can't complain about things that we can try and control to the best of our ability. And so, obviously, we don't have kids, and and so it's different. But I do have a lot of friends that have kids. I have a lot of you know, we have a lot of clients that have children. Um, and I think that there's this: if I have kids, 
there's this assumption that if I have kids, you need to bend to be flexible around my working world and around my life. And that's just not a realistic way to think. Even if it would be the best way to think, if, you know, in a perfect world, everyone would be super empathetic. And even, even though there's a lot of men that have kids, if they're not the primary caregiver, they're still not going to be as empathetic to you as a working mother. It's not right or wrong. It's just reality. I think you just have to understand the reality of the world and make a decision. Do I want to do things like figure out ways to be more visible? Or do I want to just say, you know what? I prioritize taking care of my kids. So if I don't get that promotion, if I'm not prioritized over people that are going into the office, then I you like you kind of have to accept that that's your decision because that's reality. Yeah, and that, there's also an article we're including in this newsletter of two around um, – Gen X is now in charge. Uh, so that's my generation. It's people born between 1970 and 80. Part of that article is, is the, the point of the article is, is talking about it's people in their 40s are now in charge. And that's changing the workforce. And that's changing how people work. And that's why there's more flexibility. COVID uh, accelerated that. COVID accelerated there being more flexibility. But now with a younger generation in charge of organizations, they're more willing to be flexible. But it also talked about how so many uh, Gen X women um, are more prone to working at home. So it's, it's right at, uh, in line with what you were researching as well. And it's just yeah. like I see as, as, so when we go into clients' offices and we're meeting with, let's just say like men or women for that matter, like but in leadership roles, I can tell that they don't take people as seriously if they're constantly working from home. Yeah. And it's not an intentional thing. I, it's really not like out of malice of, oh, I don't like this person. It is just this inherent perception of if I'm in the office and I'm the leader and I don't see your face, I don't know what you're doing. And even if they trust people, which I think a lot, especially a lot of leaders we work with, they really do trust their people and they do have flexible working arrangements. I can just tell that the people that are in the office just have that little bit more of an edge with the leadership team. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's all it takes when it comes to promotion and and opportunity. And, and so that's the advice you give young people. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to be in the office every day, but if you're just going to check out and never go into the office, I don't think you can expect to ever get promoted, honestly. Yeah. Unless you have like a really unique skill, like provide value, but that doesn't require you to interact with people. But that's so, that's very few roles. Yeah. And it's hard. It, I think it's also hard to learn the soft skills mm -hmm. that you need to move around up and into different roles in, in organizations without interacting in person a lot. I mean, that's a, a soft skills, like communication skills. That, that's a conversation yeah. that you and I separately had with two individuals this week who are younger and getting out into the working world or they're still in college. You know, I was talking to a young lady who I'm pretty close with. She's ridiculously smart. I um, mean, she was telling, you know, I'm asking like, what, what are you doing for your master's? And she's at Georgia Tech. We were just talking about um, how the industry, her industry specifically, like programming. And um, I think she said her master's program focuses on machine learning. Oh, yeah. And so I asked, like, are you worried that those jobs are going to be replaced with, by AI at some point? I, and I know nothing about machine learning. I'm not, you know, I barely know anything about computer science. Um, and she was saying, yeah, you know, there's definitely certain things. And so we get talking about how important it is to learn these soft skills. 
my advice to her seeing all of these women that are leaders and women that have moved up through the ranks that are in our clients' companies, a lot of them have really good presentation skills and executive presence. And I was just telling her she would be a standout star if she took, you know, a public speaking course and like something like Speakeasy, they're here in Atlanta, I've taken their course. It's almost like an acting class that gets, gets you really p comfortable presenting and speaking in front of people. It's amazing. It, it, cha it changed my life. I, I'm obsessed with it. I tell everyone to go through it. Wow. Shout out to Kip at Speakeasy. Yeah. I mean, they're not even paying for this. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I really do. I tell everyone to go through it because I think in the future, if we are in roles, especially as creatives or as computer science majors where we're doing very technical things, um, a lot of that's going to be replaced by AI. And so we have to be able to be strategic, formulate ideas, and then translate those ideas in a way that's shared with others at varying different levels of an organization. So you have to be able to speak to leadership, but you also have to be able to translate that message to the frontline people of who you're working with, translate that message to coders, translate that message to marketing. If you can perfect your storytelling ability and translating ability, to communicate your ideas to all those different stakeholder groups, you're going to crush it. Yeah, I, and I think that's the advice to, that every young person should be hearing because AI is going to create a, a working environment where you don't need as many tech skills, but you're gonna need communication skills. Yep. Everyone's gonna, you, you're no longer just gonna be able to be in a dark room and code all day. Uh, and so I think, learning those skills is pretty critical for young people today. And I don't, they're not getting it. Like they're not no. getting it in college. We didn't get it in college. I got, I guess I got it in law school. Like that's what. I think at really yeah. good private universities, there's certain people that are getting it, um, especially if their parents are encouraging them to do it, or they have advisors at school that are encouraging them. You know, we've heard recently just from a, a local university here in Atlanta, terrible it, advice. Yeah. Terrible advice. I mean, some of the worst advice I've ever heard, like, like don't, don't learn anything else except the one thing that you're getting your degree in. Yeah. Don't. That might be the worst advice I've ever heard. And we've had multiple students tell us that's the advice they're getting from, from this university. I, my, my jaw is on the floor. Yeah. Because that's so scary. It's scary. And look, look, if you're, if you're going to be, you're like an idiot savant and you're literally going to be like a artist and you're just on this trajectory of you're the next Monet, <laughs> you're like, I mean, I, that's probably a terrible example, or, you know, you're the next great singer, Ariana Grande, you're like voices like an angel or whatever it may be. I think focusing on your skill, that's obviously, the, but there's such a small percentage of people that need to hone their skills so perfectly because they're in that 0.0001% of people that can do that. Um, it doesn't apply to most people. And so most people, I think it's, we need more res renaissance men and women. We need more of that mindset. Like I'm going to be a renaissance woman. I'm going to learn as much as possible in different areas and obviously still perfect skills as much as I can, but I need to educate myself on a lot more than just the one thing that I learned in college. I agree. The, the, that advice that we've heard these young folks getting uh, is pretty shocking, but it's, it's because they're getting advice from college professors that never worked. Academics. And, yeah. yeah. They've never worked in the real life. Yeah. Um, and they're only working in this one little small piece of the university system. Yeah. And so in their world, I mean, I guess, sure, if you want to go stay in academia, then yes, you obviously need to really focus on your one thing that you're learning because you have to teach that to other people. But to just give that advice blanketly to everyone, yeah, it's just insane. People are probably like, how 
are you talking to college kids all the time? <laughs> it's the bike. <laughs> it's the bike. We spend yeah, yeah. four or five hours riding with college kids to 60-year-olds. Uh, so you get to have these really long conversations. But it's, it's funny to think that we uh, we can have a day where we spend talking to Fortune 100 CEOs and then talk to uh, college kids uh, for hours. Yeah. Um, but it gives you good perspective of what's happening in the world because you hear... You just hear everything. So do speaking of uh, Gen Z, do we want to talk about the new social media platform? Do you even know about the new social media platform? I know about it, but I <laughs> am just, I'm so, like, I'm so mentally tired of social media. I mean, I like social media, obviously. I mean, I'm on social media all the time, but I feel like I can't, I don't have the capacity to add another thing. And I don't really like Twitter as it is. I, it, for, it just has never resonated with me and the way that I like to use social media. I really like videos. I really like audio. Um, and I like photography. I don't like tweets. I, I don't like reading people's like two-sentence thought. Yeah. It, it doesn't speak to me as a person, but I know obviously there's a lot of people out there that like it. Yeah, so if, if you don't know Meta, Facebook, uh, Instagram created a a new social media platform called threads which is a direct copy of twitter in hopes that everyone that uses twitter will come over to threads uh, i downloaded it uh, it looks just like it's very easy transition to i don't know if you know it I haven't downloaded basically it. it takes all your followers and who you follow in instagram mm -hmm. and boom it just transfers it right over to the to threads mm -hmm. so that I think gives them a pretty competitive advantage versus like these other ones like Blue Sky. They're trying to start from zero. Uh, and I, I did it the day that it, because I wanted to see what it looked like the day that it was released. And so just like every day since then, I'm getting notifications of people that I'm connected to on Instagram um, or Facebook, I guess. Uh, uh, also downloading it. I think they've got over uh, a Friday, they had like 20, over 20 million um users so have you actually used it like if you sent what are they calling it so twitter is a tweet which they like thread i'm threading <laughs> a thread uh i uh threaded one time i responded uh to sam from good wipes uh <laughs> of, course he's, of course he's on it uh uh being funny uh he wants to go on podcast so i, I told him that, that we would add him to our guest list so that was yeah my, he would be funny uh he'd be hilarious actually um we we need to move him to tier one guest yeah but so this week, uh, just segueing, we wanted to test out a new segment on the podcast around what we're listening to. So we, we talk about the culture edit and what we're reading. Um, I probably have listened to 15 different podcasts this week. I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts, listening to audiobooks, um, mostly around communications and PR strategy. But I wake up at 5, the Chad, <laughs> Chad knows I wake up at 5.30 pretty much every morning, and the first thing I do is start listening to as many educational podcasts as I can. That's at the gym, by the way. Yeah, at the gym or on, or on the trainer. I really like doing that. Throughout the day, I try not to get distracted by listening to stuff, but then as soon as I get home, I pretty much start listening to educational podcasts again. So this speaks to us not having kids again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically until I go to sleep. Yeah. And Chad's similar. He has... A few different podcast listening habits. You you enjoy educate you re, you read a lot more educational stuff. Yeah, and then you listen to entertainment. Yes, yeah. I, well, I only listen to one entertainment 
podcast, but it comes out three times a week. Yeah. Monday, Wednesday. You spent a lot of time listening to that podcast. Well, I spent a lot of time walking your dog. And so my dog. So that's, that's what I'm listening to is when I'm walking Hutch and he comes to the office with us every day too. So that's, it's, it's that time. Let's get into it. So this segment (laughs) around what we're listening to. Uh, so I'm going to go this week and I've created three buckets of focus around different studies and research that I've heard about this week. I'm not going to get into the exact study, the exact person who is the researcher. I'll link all of that so that you can go read it or read about the the research and the study or the experiment. Um, or And I'm going to link the different podcasts that I listen to. The overarching idea this week is about comms hacking. So it's like biohacking. Everyone knows what biohacking is, especially if you're a health and fitness freak. It's doing all those little things to try and, you know, stop time, trying to age backwards, trying to find the fountain of youth, trying to exercise more. But it, but it, biohacking is really those tiny little things that add up to try and make ourselves healthier. Um, so I think, why don't we focus on comms hacking? And so it's not this, let's overhaul our entire communication strategy, our entire CEO strategy. It's what can we do incrementally to build off of things we already have and build off of knowledge we already have um, to create more of a connection to our teams and to our employees. So the first bucket is transparency and confessions. There is a Stanford study done during the George Floyd um, time when companies were coming out uh, issuing press releases or executives were coming out and essentially issuing their stance on what was happening in the country at that time. So Summer of 2020. Yeah, summer of 2020. So a bunch of researchers at Stanford started collecting all of those press releases and headlines, essentially. Mm -hmm. And they found that companies that came... And and a lot of the companies were coming out to say what they were going to do differently or what they had done wrong or just making a statement. But long and short of it is they, they found that companies that came out and just kind of acted... Um, self-righteous, you know, condoning certain things, but not admitting to any of their own pitfalls, people did not think positively of those companies. But if a company came out and said, we hear everyone, we hear the world, what's happening, we hear the U.S. is hurting and people in the U.S., people at our jobs or our our office um, or company, if they came out and said, we hear you and we've messed up in these areas, we need to do better and this is what we're gonna do. That act of confession uh, significantly increased the way people perceive the company or the leader. Mm-hmm. Which um, was the exact advice we were giving organizations at, at, during that time. Definitely, because yeah. I think it just goes back to no one's perfect and people aren't stupid. So employees aren't stupid. They know that companies aren't perfect. They just wanna hear that you're not perfect, you're owning up to it, and that you're gonna do better. Yep. So that, that was kind of one um, research that I found that was interesting that goes to just that con- you know, transparency um, around communication. And then there was another Harvard study. It was done in 2022, I believe. They found that it's specifically around diversity. So remember last week we talked about the difference between diversity and inclusion. So they dug into diversity inclusion efforts and the way companies were communicating around that. They found that if a company disclosed their diversity numbers, so this has nothing to do with inclusion, just diversity numbers, 
Uh, like their demographics. Their demographics. People thought more favorably of the company if they disclosed their demographics, even if the demographics were not outstanding, even if they didn't have that diverse of a work, workforce, just coming out and saying, hey, these are our numbers. We're being transparent with you. Um, consumers and employees uh, thought more positively of a company doing that than a company that doesn't disclose their diversity numbers but is constantly doing performative communication around inclusion efforts. Mm -hmm. And again, it goes back to people are smart. They can see through the BS. <laughs> yeah. So the, the example would be like an organization saying we're supporting or we're celebrating International Women's Month. Yeah. Uh, we only have 20% female leadership. We're engaging in all these programs to change that versus an organization that would just say we're celebrating international women's month. The exactly. End. The end. Oh. I was listening to another podcast and one of the guests is an expert in strategic communication and leadership. And so he was at the end of the podcast, they always ask, you know, what, if there's one piece of advice that you could give, what's it going to be? And he said, sharing failures mixed with success makes you a more influential leader. And so he had said throughout his time coaching different leaders and as a leader himself, he saw that the, the best leaders, when they communicated, would communicate their own pitfalls and their own failures to reach a goal or to achieve something mixed in with positive things of reaching goals in order to be a more influential leader versus leaders that only talked about the wins all the time. Yeah. And again, it just goes back to authenticity. No one's perfect. No one wins all the time. It's our number one strategic advice to CEOs and executives is you just got to be real. Exactly. And and the, the challenge is, though, that most leaders came up through an organization where that wasn't necessary. So they don't know how to be real. Like they think that they have to be someone that they're not or they have to be super buttoned up and they have to be very careful what they say or very performative in how they act and so it's it's just a it's a completely different leadership style that's needed right now but these are the kind of things that, that you know we're having conversations with and this research is fantastic because it backs up exactly the advice that we give exactly and so the, the second bucket is around employee motivation engagement um, a Stanford Stanford professor uh, who studies consumer motivation, um, was looking at what you can do communication-wise to keep consumers engaged with your product. And so in thinking about that, you know, how does that translate to employee motivation? And she says that the three things she focuses on or that they've seen people focus on is start small, social, social support, and journey mindset. And so when that comes to employee engagement, start small, meaning communicate it simply start with small efforts of communication you don't have to change the world at once you just have to engage people a little bit at a time yep and if you can't communicate it to your family simply you probably can't communicate to your employees in a simple way so start small with communication efforts social support leader your leaders need to be supporting your communication efforts more than anyone else and so providing that social support of making sure that people really feel connected back to the company is really, really important. 
Uh, and then journey mindset. So instead of focusing on the end goal, because a lot of times at work, we're always communicating the end goal. We're opening this new place. We're have this new product and everyone's rushing towards that end. And a lot of times people will start out really strong. We see this all the time with a big, oh, there's a, a new, let's just say a product, new product. Everyone's excited about it. We've, you know, talked about it internally. And then people get really excited, let's just say at the end of the year or at the close of when the product launches because people are excited that's over essentially. Um, And everything in between tends to fall off. And so keeping that journey mindset when you're a leader, which means just communicating the journey and the importance of the journey, not just the end result, um, will significantly change your employee motivation. Yeah. And that's a lot of times where we where we kind of supplement our services is that journey mindset. We are kind of the journey communicators for a lot of companies. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the roadmap that we build for campaigns is really about consistency and cadence uh, for that very reason. Exactly. And the last bucket is leadership communication. Um, this one I'll hit on kind of quickly, but there was some really good... Um, thoughts that came out of some of the podcasts. One is when the interviewer is asking some of these leaders to impart, you know, their best advice they'd ever been given. Um, there's a few things. It was always remember that they're hearing it for the first time. And so I think as leaders, we can forget that when we're speaking to our employees or broader organization, we've been hearing whatever it is we're about to communicate 700 times. Yeah, We've been talking about it ad nauseum in order to get to this point where we're communicating it but people that you're communicating to are still hearing it for the first time. And you have to remind yourself of that. You have to be a translator to your audience. And so you have to really think about who's your audience. Is it the front line? Is it other leaders? Is it people managers? And the best leaders can translate a message to all of these different audiences. And that goes to what we always speak to is you have to segment your communication as much as you possibly can. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, and that's different than what most communications functions do internally. They have one message for all employees. Exactly. It, there's a difference between translating communication and broadcasting. Mm -hmm. We don't need to broadcast. We need to be translators, strategic translators, and then meet people where they are, have face-to-face conversations, have videos. So you can understand what mindset they're in. There's another study showed that face-to-face and video is more effective, obviously, at communicating um, and at building relationships than non-face-to-face videos. But what was interesting is they dug into that and there was actually um, other people, well, they were digging into Zoom. And so they were saying, should leaders be communicating in person or should they be communicating over Zoom? And what they found is that some, while some leaders, most leaders should be communicating face-to-face, there were some leaders who were so intense and so what employees called aggressive that they actually performed better communicating over Zoom. Hmm. And so they, so that got me thinking, if you're a leader that's less dynamic, that really is kind of like a wallflower, you should 100% communicate in person. Um, but if you're a leader that might come across as aggressive or intimidating, communicating over video is actually a better way to go. Huh. And I thought that was interesting because it just, it lessens your intimidation factor. Yeah, I think most of those leaders don't know 
that they're intimidating. So they need they someone might, to tell them. <laughs> well, no, they might, they might not. But as a strategic communication function, you should know. Yeah. You should be identifying what type of communicator your leaders are. And when you set their strategy, their communication strategy, you should say, okay, you know, CEO is insanely dynamic, not overwhelming. We're getting her out in front of everyone in person town halls, but our COO, he, he's a little abrasive. And we're going to pull him back. We're going to create a podcast with him. We're not going to send him out to the town halls where he's going to be bashing people over the head with aggressive communication styles. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the three three nuggets that I got from the different podcasts I listened to. I know that was a lot, but I did think it was pretty valuable. Well, the, the people have told us they wanted a lot. So yeah. There you go. You got what you wanted. So this is uh, our fourth episode where it's just you and I. We talked about guests in the last episode. Uh, excited that the next episode, number five, will have a guest. Uh, we're really excited about it. Uh, and we're looking forward to, to talking with her and sharing uh, a really interesting story. Do we want to give a hint as to who she is? No, we'll let me a surprise. Well, I think like giving a little a little teaser because I mean she she's the head of uh, culture at Newell Rubbermaid or was the head of culture at Newell Rubbermaid for a long time. So she's got horsepower. But women out there, if you are genuinely curious about how you move up the corporate ladder as a as a female, how you become a better communicator, a better leader, tune into this podcast because Joanna is that leader. Yeah. For sure. She is that person that you can learn from. So we're recording with her tomorrow morning, bright and early. Uh, so we're very excited about it. Yeah. All right. Uh, outside of that, I think we're good. All right. Over now. out.